0: Well, hello my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is the Friday broadcast, and we've made it through another week. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so looking forward to this weekend, and I want to invite you to come and worship with us on Sunday. Now on Sunday, October the 1st at 10:15, we are doing a ribbon-cutting, building dedication ceremony. Uh, so you're welcome to come worship with us at 9 o'clock or 1045. And then in between those two services, we'll be cutting the ribbon. Uh, dedicating a brand new 8,500 square foot building to the Lord. We're calling this building the ARK, A-R-K, which stands for Always Reaching Kids. I'd uh, love to have you come join me for that ceremony, October the 1st at 1015. While well, we're continuing our series on generosity. This is the last part of the message, but this is what I've discovered about generosity. Generously forgiven people are genuinely humble, and we're looking at how do we know that we've been truly forgiven? Because I've discovered that when I understand the impact of being forgiven. Now, I'm a type A personality. I love to get things done. And I love the satisfaction of getting things done. That's why I'm talking about a building dedication. It took us a year to get that building finished. But as I think about it, there's this great joy in finishing something. But there's a greater joy than that. And that is the relief and the release of being forgiven. If you're a forgiven person and Christ has forgiven you, you you're also a generous person because forgiveness is a gift that I did not earn, I do not deserve. It's a gift that God gives me. And as a result of receiving that gift, filling me up with his forgiveness, I become one who also must give, right? Just out of the overflow, I must give. Well, how do I know that I've been completely forgiven? Let me give you seven ways in which you know that we have been completely forgiven. Number one, you know you have been completely forgiven when you resist all thoughts of revenge. Now, revenge is wanting to get somebody back for something they've done to you, right? You did me, I'm going to do you back. When you resist revenge, you can only do it through forgiveness. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Don't pay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If this is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now Paul's making a very clear statement here. We're commanded not to pay back evil for evil we're to do what is right in the sight of all men. We're not to be vigilantes, right? We're not going to take the law into our own hands. And it says, as much as it depends upon me, I'm to be at peace with all men, and I'm to be at peace by not avenging myself, rather letting the Lord take that vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So, I refuse to get revenge. That is the first proof that you have forgiven somebody. The Lord just takes that desire for vengeance away from you. And it's an amazing thing. So I was back visiting some friends that I hadn't seen in literally decades. One of the ladies I ran into is an old friend of mine. I hadn't seen her for a long time. And uh, she came up to me, gave me a big hug. And uh, she says, I am so thankful to you because you taught me not to take revenge on my ex-husband. And I, I don't even remember uh Talking to her a whole lot about that. I remember I did some some counseling with her, uh, but she told me that because she refused to take revenge, that her former husband had basically become so self-destructive that the judge ordered uh, him to have no contact with the kids. And now here we are, a couple decades later, and this lady has moved on. God's given her a wonderful husband. And I said, I know your husband. And I said, your husband's father gave me the five-volume set by J Vernon McGee through the Bible. And I says your father-in-law, your new father-in-law was on my ordinance committee. And she didn't know any of that thing. And I says he's been an amazing blessing to me. And I says one time I was talking to your father-in-law and he says, "Do you hear that J Vernon McGee passed away?" I says, "Yes, I did. I knew that he passed away." And I says, "Furthermore, I remember the day he passed away. It was on a Wednesday. I don't remember the exact date, uh, but I was getting ready to start a Wednesday night service in a small church up in Attleboro, Massachusetts. And just before I was ready to start the service, one of the members came up to me and says, hey, we have lost a hero today. And, you know, that was way before uh, Internet and way before we had this instant uh, 24-hour, seven-days-a-week news uh, venues. And she says, oh, yeah, a hero of the faith has passed away. J. Vernon McGee passed away. Well, I've always listened to Jay Vernon McGee. Uh, for many years, I had a newspaper route, and, and that's ancient history, right? Uh, because if you're trying to deliver newspapers now to make a living, uh, you're not going to be very well off. But uh, I used to carry about 850 newspapers uh, in the Lynchburg area, and Jay Vernon McGee was on air from 4.30 to 5 o'clock. I listened to him every single morning. Uh, amazing story. And so I told this to this guy, and he says, well, I'm going to give you the five-volume set of Through the Bible by Jay Vernon McGee. Now, I say all this to say, resist all thoughts of revenge. Now, if that lady had taken revenge upon her husband, God would not have blessed her the way he blessed her. Number two, we know that we have completely forgiven when we are no longer hoping others have that trouble. That person that we had trouble forgiving, uh, we no longer hope they have trouble. First, Thessalonians 5, 15, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. First Thessalonians 5.15. So you're always striving to do what's good for each other. Uh, that's a sign that you have forgiven somebody. Uh, you're no longer hoping that they fall into a ditch, or you're no longer hoping that a, that a rock hits them on the head. Uh, now you're hoping that God will bless them. 1 Peter three nine, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to do this, you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't you love this? Now, let's listen to what Peter is saying here. He's saying, when I forgive somebody, I'm not going to repay them with evil. I'm not going to have these underhanded insults. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to be blessing them. And because of that, I inherit a blessing. So forgiveness has a blessing attached to it. As I forgive somebody, I don't repay them with evil. I bless them. I don't want them to have trouble. I want them to be blessed. I am actually blessing myself in a roundabout way. Now, we're not doing it for that purpose. You may be listening to me today and say, well, I didn't even know that that was a blessing involved in forgiving somebody else. Absolutely. We inherit a blessing when we refuse to repay evil. When we bless others, we are giving ourselves a blessing. So you know that you've really forgiven somebody. When you resist all thoughts of revenge, when you no longer hope they have trouble. And then number three, when you honestly wish them well. Jesus says, Luke six twenty-eight bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, in order to do that, you've got to forgive them. If somebody curses you, you've got to forgive them. You know, I had a lady years ago who, who wrongly accused me. Uh, it was in the middle of a PTA meeting. Uh, somebody had taken some money uh, from the treasury of the PTA. Well, this lady, I didn't know who she was. Uh, stands up in the middle of a PTA meeting and points at me and says, that's the guy right there uh, who, is ta- who took the money from the PTA treasury. And I'm looking around and says, I don't know who this lady is. And so she basically cursed me in front of the the whole audience there that was gathered for a PTA meeting. Well, I pulled her to the side later on, and I said, now, listen, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not in the PTA. I don't have access to the treasury of the PTA. I said, I don't know who you are, and uh, you don't know who I am. So I introduced myself to this lady, and her face dropped, and she realized uh, it was a mistaken identity. She thought I was somebody who I wasn't. And uh, you know, the neat thing about that story is uh, because of that incident, I had the opportunity to lead that lady to the Lord. And because I immediately forgave her, she thought that was crazy. And uh, and she uh, she was expecting me to to make her I guess get up and do a public apology in front of everybody. And I said no no that's not necessary. Uh, I, I says uh, enough people know me and my reputation has preceded me. Obviously this is a mistake. Uh, there's no sense of putting yourself through all that. And so I led her to the Lord and I was able to baptize her. And I found out just this last weekend that that uh, that unfortunately she's passed on uh, and she's in heaven. But here it's very clear. Bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you. The reason I was able to lead her to the Lord is because I said, hey, can I pray for you? And at the conclusion of that prayer, I shared the gospel with her and she prayed to receive Christ. So you know that you have really forgiven when you resist all thoughts of revenge, when you no longer hope they have trouble. And number three, you honestly hope they will do well. You bless them and you pray for them. Number four, you grieve at their calamities when you see them going through a hard time. You don't, in the back of your mind, says, "Well, you got your just desserts. You made your bed, and now you got to lie in it." Uh, no, you actually grieve over the fact that they're going through a difficult time. Romans twenty four seventeen says, "Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, don't let your heart rejoice. You are sincerely broken hearted." That they're going through a difficult time. Now, you know you have truly forgiven somebody. When you don't try to make a connection between their time of grieving and the offense that they had against you, you, you have forgiven. You have released them. You have totally set them free. And then number five, when you sincerely pray for them, and not pray about them, but pray for them. Matthew five forty four, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. When you have forgiven somebody, you you are releasing them and you fervently pray for them. You're praying for those who come against you. Number six, uh, you know that you have truly and sincerely forgiven somebody when you are attempting, if it's safe, to be reconciled with them. You know forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is a gift, it's not earned. Trust is earned. Uh, you can't be reconciled with somebody unless there's a, an element of trust there. Uh, Romans 12:18 If it is possible as far as it depends upon you live at peace with everyone. So if if possible, you're going to attempt a reconciliation when you have truly forgiven somebody, or at least as that desire. It may not be possible, but as far as it depends upon you, uh, you're going to be living at peace with everyone. And then number seven is that you willingly help to meet their needs. Exodus chapter 23. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. So you're willing to help them in their needs. They're going through a hard time, yet you're hoping that they do well. You pray for them. You're grieving over their calamity. You've tried to reconcile the relationship. You're no longer hoping to have trouble. You're no longer wanting to get revenge, but you're willing to help them in their time of need. If their donkey wanders off, if they go through a difficult time and you find that donkey that's wandered off, you return it to them. So maybe today you need to do a little work on forgiveness. And And you're wondering, how am I going to make the change that is necessary in order for me to change, right? What process do I need to go through? Well, let me spend the remainder of the broadcast today talking about how we change. How do people change? And I think it's a matter of getting rid of some things. And so in the remaining moments that we have, I'm going to spell out the word crud, now, I love using acrostics because it helps me to remember things. And maybe uh, it'll help you as well, right? If you want to begin to change, you got to stop, let C, see, complaining. You know, we complain way too much. So if you want to be changing in your life, you got to stop complaining. Maybe you're going to the church and you're complaining about the church, complaining about the deacons, complaining about Uh, The pastor complaining about the worship team, complaining the services are too long, complaining that they sing too much, or maybe uh, the pastor is too loud, or maybe he's not loud enough, or maybe he doesn't dress up too much, or maybe he dresses up too much, maybe he's too too flashy, or maybe he's not quite flashy enough. Uh, And you've got to the point where you're complaining. You're complaining about the children's ministry. You're complaining about it being too hot or too cold. You are a chronic complainer. Did you know that seventy-three times? The word complain appears in the New Living Translation of the Bible. It appears 10 times in the book of Numbers. Now, no other book in the Bible is the word complain used more times than it is in the book of Numbers. So let's check out this passage in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 14. And I'm reading from the message translation. The people fell grumbling over their. Hard life. They fell to the ground like, well, this is so bad. They just fell, right? God heard it, and when He heard their grumbling, His anger flared. Then fire blazed up and burned the outer boundaries of the camp. The people cried out for help to Moses. Moses prayed to God, and the fire died down. Now, the name of the place is Taberah, which means blaze because fire from God had blazed up against them. Now, if you want to change, you got to stop complaining. I don't know if your mom ever did this to you when you were growing up, but my mom did it to me and I did it to my kids. When I would complain too much, she says, oh, you want to complain? Well, I'll give you something to complain about. And she would apply the Board of Education to my seat of learning, uh, and that would give me something else to think about, to complain about. Well, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. They fell to the ground grumbling over their hard life. God heard it. And God says, Okay, uh, you want to complain? I'm going to give you something to complain about. And a fire blazes up and it burns the boundary of the camp. Well, all of a sudden they cried out to Moses and then the fire died down. Now, complaining invites God's judgment upon my life. James says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or so you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James is saying that when we complain against one another, that we are inviting the judge to come and bring judgment. He says the judge is standing at the door. He's listening. Oh, okay. The grumbling has now hit a level where I'm coming in. Right? When I was growing up as a child, our bedroom was upstairs and mom and dad's bedroom was downstairs. And we would sometimes make such a ruckus, right? And my mom would yell up the steps and says, now you guys better calm down or I'm going to come up there, right? And she was standing at the door. And if we didn't settle down, she was going to come up and take care of that, right? God does the same thing to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, we shouldn't test the Lord as some of them did that were killed by the snakes, referring to the Old Testament passage uh, where Moses had this, that those snakes came out and, and killed those and bit those who were, were grumbling against Moses. And so Paul takes that and he runs with it and he says, Don't be like them. He says they were killed by a destroying angel. He said these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. So, complaining invites God's judgment upon our lives, but complaining also tears down others. In the book of Ephesians, it says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those. Who listen. Oh, don't be tearing down others with your unwholesome talk. Only use words that is lifting others up. You see, complaining tears others down. Complaining also steals my joy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. In Christ Jesus. So today, I want you to make it a point to walk with grace in mind. Today, I'm going to be gracious to everyone. I mean, everyone my dog, my cat, my kids, my boss, my spouse. Going around with a gracious spirit, saying, Nothing will steal my joy. I choose to be joyful because when I complain, It will rob me of my joy. Complaining tears down, steals joy. But you know, complaining also reduces my blessings. Let's go back to the book of Numbers, where the word complain appears more than any other book in the Bible. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 20, it says that the Lord replied, I have forgiven them. What was he forgiving them of? Their chronic complaining. He says, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my holy glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but those who disobeyed me and tested me these 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Here, the Lord is rebuking his people because they constantly complained. They didn't believe they could defeat the enemy. They complained that the enemy was too big and their God was too small. They disobeyed God and they tested him. Uh, Here it says 10 times. And God says, okay, enough is enough. You've complained one too many times and now I'm reducing your blessing. He says, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see the promised land verse 24 of Numbers chapter 14, is a verse of hope because there were two that refused to get into the the cesspool of complaining, Caleb and Joshua. It says there's a different spirit in them because they follow me wholeheartedly. I will bring them into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So complaining reduces my blessings. Oh, we've learned so much about this very important topic of complaining. There's something else that complaining does. Did you know that complaining violates God's word? Philippians chapter 2, verse number 2, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Oh, it is rare a person who, when his cup frequently runs over, can thank God instead of complaining about the limited size of his mug. But I want to encourage you, eliminate complaining in your life, and you will begin to change. You see, we tend to complain too much, but we also tend to remember the wrong things. In Numbers chapter 11, we discover that the nation of Israel was remembering what they had when they were living in bondage. It says the rabble, that's a disorganized group of people who were power hungry. They look back and they focused on what they had when they were in bondage. Remembering the wrong things will never cause you to change. In letter U, you've got to overcome ungratefulness. You see, there's crud in our lives when we complain, we remember the wrong things, and we become ungrateful. The nation of Israel started complaining about the manna that they were being fed. Manna, manna everywhere. And they got sick and tired of manna cakes and, and having all these things put together with manna, and they began to be unthankful, ungrateful for what God was doing. There's one final point that we've got to cover when we're filled with crud in our lives, we tend to doubt God. As we think about doubt, when we look at doubt, you know, as long as you have faith, there's going to be a certain element of doubt, but we don't live by doubts; We live by faith. I have a $20 bill in my pocket, and it, let's suppose I ask a volunteer who believes me, It says, well, uh, will you receive this $20? And I tell a volunteer that I'm about to destroy his or her faith, and I open up my hand and I show them the $20 bill, and the reason I can say I'm destroying his faith is that now he knows I hold the bill. He sees the bill and doesn't need faith anymore. Faith is required only when we have doubts, when we do not know for sure. When knowledge comes, faith is no more. Sometimes a person is tempted to think, I can't believe a Christian because I still have doubts. I'm not sure. But as long as doubts exist, as long as the person is still uncertain, that is the only faith that is needed. When the doubts are gone, the person doesn't need faith anymore. Knowledge has come. Now we see that we're knowing. Now we see, but a poor reflection. Now we have confusion, misunderstanding. We have doubts. We have questions. Then we shall see him face to face. We don't see him face to face yet, but then we will see him face to face. Now I know in part with questions and doubts, but then I will know even as I am fully known. Well, thank you for joining me on this Friday broadcast. Please join me in worship this Sunday, Hickory Ridge Community Church at 9 o'clock or 1045. If I can pray for you, shoot me a text at 252 267 Two three six five. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at BuzzSprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at thirty three twenty Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.